Welcome to Driven Creatively Mad, where I interview creators who aspire to earn a living from their art. I'm your host, Chris Black, and on this episode, I've got Tony Helms. Tony is a cartoonist. He'll tell you he's a software engineer, but in truth, he just loves to draw with a passion. Tony has an unrelenting, fiery will to draw as much as possible with one goal, to get better. He genuinely loves to share and promote other artists on Instagram. He started the famous July 5 Sci-Fi Drawing Challenge that starts every year on July 1st. So what makes Tony tick? Let's find out. Hey, Tony, thanks for joining me on Driven Creatively Mad. How you doing? I'm doing well, Chris. Thank you. Uh, thank you for this honor. Great. So you and I connected on Instagram, I honestly don't know, a couple years ago, maybe? I believe so, yes. For the listeners, can you let them know what kind of creator you are? Um, well, by, uh, my day trade is, of course, I'm, I'm a software engineer, so I'm not a professional artist. I have gotten involved professionally, artistically in various areas, which, which I can explain as we go along. But otherwise, I just love to draw. Since, since I was really young, I enjoyed drawing. Throughout the day, I, I work from home mostly. Coding can be a little mundane, so art is a great uh, creative outlet on those type of days. I try to draw, and, I, and plus it's something you, you can constantly learn with. So I, so for me, I love learning something new every day, and by drawing, I, I feel like I am. I feel like I am improving, I'm, I'm learning, I'm getting better. As they say, art's a journey. And I primarily, I, I do tend to do a lot of sci-fi type artwork. I will do almost any genre though. I will bounce around. I'll do floral paints, whatever. Either way, it's just whatever I feel challenges me at that time. And I want to break out of my box. And I I definitely, even though a lot of my stuff may be sci-fi, my subjects will vary greatly because I don't want to be one of those artists that are known just for drawing one thing. I want to be able to do a varied subject. So otherwise I'm really just a hobby artist that's uh, luckily enough, I've gotten involved with Adobe and that's been a fun challenge. They've invited me to uh, come in and beta test uh, some of their new mobile apps. And I provide an unusual perspective, uh, maybe a little bit irritating to some of the other uh, beta <laughs> testers because uh, they're all they're all prior desktop users. Uh, so they know all the Adobe desktop products. Me, I, I've always had to be very budget conscious. So I've always yeah. used anything that was affordable. And that, unfortunately, that usually did not mean Adobe. Adobe is very expensive. They are the big 800-pound gorilla in the art community. Yeah, so if you go work professionally, you're going to be given probably a Wacom and then all the Adobe products. So I've been blessed that they've brought me on and given me access to their mobile apps. So that's been a great experience to have a little peek behind the curtain of the Adobe Corporation. And, and there really are a great group of people working hard to make a great product. And uh, yeah. it's, they really believe in this. So not trying to be a sales pitch for them, but it's no, okay. It's been a great experience to go there. But either way, my hobby is, has led to those type of events, and it's, yeah. been a lot, it's been a fun ride so far. Yeah, Adobe's had a slow start to mobile. I use an iPad. Is that what you use? Correct, yes. I just yeah. IPad. And the first big drawing app that I can remember was Procreate. There were some others, but some of those haven't lasted. But Procreate seems like it's the biggest tool, or it was the biggest tool out there and was one of the most popular. But it seems like Adobe's really stepped up their game the last couple of years with the drawing app. And I think you're beta testing Adobe Illustrator Correct. right now on the mobile side. Correct. So 
Yeah, Adobe Illustrator on iPad, and I still use like Fresco. I'm still part of the pre-release team, so every time a new feature comes out, I get it first, I play with it, and of course, sometimes there's a lot of crashes, uh, and I lose work again. But you're absolutely right. Adobe has really, uh, and there's no way of beating around the bush here, they really missed first to market in the mobile environment. They're very aware of this mistake. At the time, it didn't seem like a mistake because, like I said, all the pro artists, and to give you an example, you've heard of the Lightbox Expo. Right. I have. That's uh, on I, the. It's in California, right? Correct. Yes, it's in yeah. Pasadena area because that's where most of the professionals are. They wanted to have it local, so it's easy for the pros to just yeah. drive over there and be part of it. And, uh, and as pros, you're referring to like animators and uh, professional people, illustrators. People work for Disney, Netflix, DreamWorks, everything, yeah. and then Steven Silver, Tony Bancroft, Town Bancroft, yep. independent artists are there as well that are you know well known in the industry. But I got the opportunity, Adobe invited me out, and we went up there with, with my daughter and I. We both enjoyed the first Lightbox Expo, and I had the freedom to go to each of these people, and they didn't ask me to do this. I just kind of did it on my own. I interviewed them. I interviewed what tools do you use? Obviously, like Tony Bancroft, he uses, uh, I think he primarily still enjoys traditional, and he also primarily yeah. likes to do black and white. He doesn't like the color. And, and he will actually hire a colorist to color a lot of his work. So I've, I found that an interesting aspect. But that is interesting. That's, the, the, that's inspiring. It is. Because <laughs> I, mean, I hate coloring. <laughs> it's, I'm the same way. If I could do all black and white, I would. I, I'd be totally happy. And I, I probably could have a huge following. There's tons of artists out there that do nothing but black and white, and they do it well. Yeah. But, again, i always trying to learn something new, so that's why I jump in color. But it, I digress to the main concept. Was in Lightbucks Expo, I, I was asking the questions about trying to ask these questions about use of the iPad. Are they taking it seriously? Are they, do they play yeah. with the iPad? Do they use it? Would they consider, because Fresco was still new and I was pushing it as well because uh, I really enjoyed it and I was curious if others had tried it. But the most common thing I got from all the pros was simply, oh, iPad's just a toy. I'd never do production work on that. And most of them have never heard of Procreate. Yeah, hmm. Even though the Procreate had a massive booth right there in Lightbox, they're yeah. like, what the heck is this? Uh, and all these pros did the same thing. They either were using an older version of Adobe or they were had a, a, you know, a newer subscription and they were running the latest and greatest Adobe. But yeah. either way, they were all running Photoshop, a few illustrators, but most of them are Photoshop. And I was surprised that all these big-time pros, Netflix, DreamWorks, whatever, were all saying the same thing. Is iPad, yeah, I've got one, or Adobe sent me one, and they sent me Fresco on it. But Yeah, I kind of play with it, but I wouldn't do production work with it. So I think th that attitude is what Adobe kept hearing, and that's why they ignored Procreate. Ultimately, they're, the fact the way they marketed Fresco and their other products, again, mm -hmm. tells you they're not really concerned with Procreate. They're trying to establish a production workflow on the iPad, mostly for their Adobe diehards. Yes, they do want to capture the new generation. They want to capture people who have never used Adobe, and Fresco is a good example of that. Photoshop is getting enormous. I've watched my daughter uses it quite a bit in her education and, and her graphic design career. It's a mature it product. It's been around for a long time. People just want new features and you just keep adding yeah. and you keep adding. As a software engineer, I fully understand how that happens. The priority is everybody's begging for this new feature. On the mobile side, they're really working hard to make a much cleaner, more streamlined product. And on top of that, they know for a fact that we're not going to be able to take all the Photoshop desktop features and stuff it into a mobile app. That's just no. not realistic. And 
I know for a fact uh, Adobe's focused on providing production quality because in Fresco, for example, compared to Procreate, Fresco, I've never had a layer limit. It, I keep adding, I've got some yeah. that have over 150 layers. In That's there. good to hear. And it runs, it saves, it doesn't crash on me, it works well. When I illustrate inside of Fresco or Procreate, I almost treat it like it's paper. I don't use a lot of advanced features. Do you find yourself rarely select anything, deform it, and change it or delete it? And to a certain extent, yes. Like I, I, that's another thing I did discover, even with uh, the pros on, on Photoshop. They've got a small set of brushes that they, they prefer to use, and they rarely ever go outside that. Same for me. I have a small select set of brushes that I use in Fresco. I, yes, there's yeah. all there's hundreds more in there, and I can pull in the Photoshop brushes, and I play with them occasionally. But for the most part, I, I've got a small set of brushes I call my favorites, and that's where I like to be. Same thing in Procreate. My daughter and I were sharing the iPad at the time, and she downloaded like billions of brushes. There's free yeah. ones out there, and it was like, I can't manage this. So it was hard to find my favorites all of a sudden. As for it comes to selection and deformation, I use it quite a bit. Most of it because it's kind of part of my thumbnailing. So okay. when I'm planning a piece of work, I've gotten into the habit of thumbnailing. And I, I can't say that I'm really making it thumbnail size. I'm really drawing it the whole page size, a rough sketch. Yeah. The way I go through thumbnailing is once I've got a, my initial rough out, if I've got some ideas to some changes, I'll duplicate that layer hide the other one, and then I'll yep. erase and select and deform and move it around. You said you've been drawing since you were a kid. So were you just drawing on like in sketchbooks and on paper with traditional media? One of the firms I was supporting, we had a, they had a graphics artist team. So it was nice to go over there and see what their world is like. Uh, and I, I started a rapport with one of the guys and he, he had a Windows uh, tablet one of the early models, they don't, they didn't have touch and didn't have keyboards or anything like that, but they were usually medical devices. But it so happens they had Wacom digitizers built in, so you could draw directly on the screen. Yeah. The purpose, of course, was for signatures and whatnot, but the quality and the precision was good enough to, to draw with. And he was showing me that, and he introduced me to Sketchbook Pro. As soon as oh, yeah. I got a, a tax refund or whatever, I went out and bought this motion computing uh, which, by the way, they're now a defunct company, but the, the most computing LE 1700 Windows tablet PC, which is really a medical device, but it, it was excellent for drawing. Like I said, it had a full Wacom stylus with a little hole in the side that would store it, and it was amazing. A lot of my, a lot of my early works in, Sketch, in my Instagram are all from Sketchbook Pro. Okay. Still, it's still a great product, one of my uh, favorites, because what was unique about Sketchbook Pro is that it was designed for the stylus, the whole interface. It was all built yeah. around drag and swipes. So I could I could do all my drawings and all my shortcuts with a stylus and never touch a keyboard. Uh, and that was another big negative for the pros going from their desktop to the iPad is they lose their shortcuts. When they're yeah. busy working as fast as they can to meet the production deadline, they're used to hitting those shortcuts in Photoshop and doing their different actions. So the idea of taking that away from them, they feel it's really going to reduce their time to production. I don't know if you're under an NDA or anything, and you don't have to answer this, but just hypothetically, do you think that they'll take Fresco to like the Mac operating system? I, I suspect they will. I don't know if what's on their schedule for that. I haven't heard yet. Yeah. I was surprised yes, they even took it to Windows at first, but because I, I didn't fully understand is, is you've got Photoshop there. Why, do, why would you want to take Fresco? But again, a lot of it is, is that there's, and again, this is just my opinion why I think it's happening is right. because of the the uh, Photoshop is such a mature product with so much in it and, and a lot of technical debt, I'm sure. 
is that Fresco is a brand new clean and Fresco has allowed them to put in, you know, new functionality like the live brushes, which emulate watercolor yeah. and oils. Those brushes, even on the iPad, take up a lot of CPU power. Yeah, uh, for, so, on, yeah, exactly. <laughs> on, on my first generation iPad, I really can't use That's the live brush. Yeah, okay. Yeah. I really can't use the live brushes on that model. It just eats up the battery and it's really sluggish. But I've got a brand new iPad Pro new generation, the 11 inch one. Yeah. And it is very fluid, it's smooth, doesn't, it still eats battery, but it's quite impressive what it does. And yeah. I'm assuming put that into Photoshop would have probably not played nice with all the other features and probably would be very difficult for them to get running smooth and efficiently. So putting those type of features in a brand new product and trying to create the drawing platform or the drawing pipeline and putting it into fresco seems to be what they're driving towards. Now, yeah. Photoshop diehards, they're never going to leave Photoshop. The idea of, ooh, you mean for me to do my drawings, I have to leave Photoshop to fresco, and then when I want to do my touch-ups, I have to go back to Photoshop? That's, that's really the kind they want to do, but I think it's more for the next generation of artists that they'll get started in fresco, yeah. and then when they do final touch-ups and other features, they'll move over to uh, Photoshop. They really want to push by its name. It's Photoshop. It was originally designed for photo manipulation. I and started using Photoshop, gosh, 1992, I think, when I took a computer class in high school. It was Photoshop 2, and I remember getting, this is really dating me, and you may remember these. Some of our listeners may remember these, but there were these Mac-only businesses like Mac Mall, and I think Mac Zone may have been another one, but you'd get catalogs in the mail of all these things you could buy for your Mac. But I remember seeing an ad for Photoshop where they added layers. Yes. First time. (laughs) Layers. What are layers? Transparencies. It was amazing. Yeah. It was great. But you know, like you're saying, Photoshop is a huge app that has to serve different audiences, photographers, artists that they're getting into 3d now where you can manipulate 3d objects. Yep. People paint with it. Yeah. Like Kyle Webb, what, Kyle Webster? Is that his name? Yeah, the Did one that does right all the brushes? or Yeah, all the brushes. Those were just amazing when those you know brushes like that started popping up. But I, I can see how Adobe would like to take something like Fresco, get it on the iPad, and it's got a very targeted audience with people that use a stylus. And if you can build up enough support and enough uh, people using it, getting them to transition to a desktop version would probably be easy and and it is adobe they've got plenty of developers to work on this stuff and really make it work across multiple platforms and devices so i'd be interested to see it on on the mac yeah and i'm guessing they eventually will like i said i've not heard any you know rumors or or chatter yet on on that subject but it seems like it'd be a smart thing to eventually get it to the mac um I don't fully know how, even though I'm a software engineer, I'm not sure all the tech that they use. I do know that they are able to bring some of the stuff out of their desktop Photoshop, their logic yeah. and their tricks and the things that they've solved in the past. And they've pulled that into the, the mobile devices, which is pretty impressive. Particularly yeah. like for me, for Fresco, I'm still really impressed with its vector brush capability. That is one of my favorite features of Fresco is that, of course, Procreate doesn't have is that I can draw using the fresco vector brushes now they're not to be confused with the illustrator vector the, right. the fresco vector brushes are more fluid so if you were to line up or try to match up two different features a similar feature in illustrator is called the blob brush and yeah. it flows like a regular paintbrush but what it's doing it's 
creating just a bunch of massive blobby stroke shapes. And that's really what's happening in fresco too. You just can't go in and do point manipulation. I mentioned earlier that you and I connected on Instagram and you go by your profile name, Tony Cartoonish. Correct. And my wife, Stacy, who follows you, she just, she wanted me to tell you that when we talk about you in the house, we call you by Tony Cartoonish. (laughs) That's That's, 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 that's perfectly fine. (laughs) (laughs) It's not, hey, did you see what Tony posted? It's, hey, did you see what Tony Cartoonish posted? (laughs) But you were like the most prolific poster on Instagram. I have a hard time keeping up with everything you, you publish. Do you have tricks that you use to manage all this stuff? Because not only are you posting your own stuff, you're posting stories where you're like sharing other people's work. And I'm not talking just a couple people. You'll have a, a story with dozens of people's artwork that you're sharing. How, how do you manage that workflow? I guess some of the, the luxuries from working from home, and particularly when some of the things I'm working on, I'm going to have to watch a progress bar. And there's really nothing I can do while I'm waiting for that to finish. So I, the iPad's right here. I pick it up and I start to, to doodle or sketch or I browse Instagram and go, oh, that looks nice. And I just add it to my stories. Yeah. Of course, the busiest time is July 5. I, I do that July 5 event. And yeah. so I'm going to be my busiest then. Uh, unfortunately, this last July 5, I was, I got, I had the the pleasure of getting COVID-19, so it was, oh. I had very little strength. Uh, so my focus was just let me make sure July 5 runs. I won't be able to draw as much as I'd like to, but let me just make sure everybody else gets noticed and make sure I share everybody's works and comment and just make sure it's still a fun event for everybody else. And that took all my strength until I got over that, and which was probably near the end of July. And then I was finally able to start trying to generate a few July if I works for myself and just look for tools at speed of the process. Like uh, there's a sharing tool I, I use. I don't remember the exact name of it, but it makes it easy. When I see something, I, you know, how you can go up and copy link for something or, or a particular post. Uh-huh. Then I, I pop over to this program called repost and it recognizes it automatically in my clipboard. So I don't have to paste it. It just automatically sees it. Oh, you, you copy it a link from Instagram. Let me grab it. It grabs the images. It grabs the text from it. And then all I have to do is press one button to reshare and it'll send me to Instagram and I can paste the, the very, it puts the text that they had into my clipboard. So I just paste it in post. I'm done. And so okay. it's not hard to, to, to share other people's stuff. Uh, stories, of course, are fairly easy. You just, Right there, when you're looking at the item, you hit the arrow. Though I do take a little extra time when, right now and try to also tag their their username because mm-hmm. it they won't get notified that I'm doing that unless I do that. But some of, some of my reasons for doing it is not only because I want to share a great piece of artwork with everybody else that I found and great artist, but it also in, increases, how should I say, Instagram works off of engagement. How engaged are you with it? As I do these things to other people's artwork, it improves the engagement value of their artwork and it gets more exposure. The, okay. the Instagram algorithm says we've got 10 people who saved it to their locals. They may not have liked it, but they went and saved it. So that increases its value. Oh, we got some comments going on. So that's good engagement. So that increases its value. Got a bunch of likes, so forth, so on. And that increases. Now, if you see views, if someone just views it and just walks by it, that actually decreases its engagement. In their alloc- Granted, again, I'm, by walk not- by, you mean like they just keep scrolling in their feed? Yeah, they just scroll by. They're viewing. They see it okay. and they don't do anything with it and they move on. But anyway, it's Instagram's traffic is just based on engagement. And also, believe it or not, is 
your engagement, how much your stuff will get engaged is based on how often you're right. So if you're posting all the time, even though you might be getting likes and follows and comments, if you're not popping over to the, your own feed and going through and enjoying their, the other artwork that's been exposed to you and occasionally liking things, uh, it's going to actually reduce your engagement. So again, I've just, okay. these are things I've just noticed and I've been reading and, it, and again, I'm, I don't have an inside man in the, into Instagram's algorithm. It changes regularly. Like right, right. now it's, I think the algorithm has really changed drastically because now you'll see people with like just a few followers having tons of likes. Uh, so I think somehow Instagram has worked hard to level the playing field to where art exposure is about the same for everybody or okay. your Instagram stuff is, is about the same. So you, you will have the same exposure as one of the, some pro that has 200 K users, even though you've got 5k or whatever it is, or 200 uh, followers, whatever you will have still a pretty good exposure. And, okay. But it is, it's odd. I'm not sure how the follows I think a lot of people on Instagram now are don't tend to follow a lot of new people. Uh, I think it's just, I, I don't know if that's the general consensus. I like to look at everything that's in my feed. So when I follow someone, it's a very purposeful, meaningful action for me. If I'm going to follow you, it's I have some kind of valued interest in the stuff that you're creating. Yes. Or po I should say posting, because I may follow people that don't create art. They just post photos of whatever, but... If I were to follow several thousand people, I couldn't keep up and view everything. So it feels like it's a disservice to those yes, people. It is. And and you're right. That is, that's, that's another thing people will complain about the Instagram algorithm, but you got to realize how much of a, you know, monumentous challenge they have to try to provide a service. For example, I follow way too many people. I'm one of those individuals, even though I heavily follow, I hate the concept follow for follow. I don't do that. Yeah. Someone asked me for that. I actually own a regular habit. I block them. I don't, even yeah. if their art, art is great. If they ask me for a follow for follow, I will, I have a habit of just simply, I don't do it. it says don't follow me just because I followed you. I expect the same thing. When I follow someone, a lot of times I will tell them, I will get in there and, and look at what their art is. And I will tell them, if I tell them, thank you. Uh, but if I see their art is such a different variety than mine, I'll warn them, say, hey, I do mostly sci-fi stuff. I'm following your art because I like it and it inspires me. And I, I will look forward to enjoying your art journey, but I don't expect that follow back. Uh, because yeah. my stuff may not be what interests you. And based on looking at the art I see in you, you most likely won't. But it, your art inspires me. It will give me ideas and, and inspire me. And there'll be things about your art that I want to try to mimic or learn from. I try to do a little bit of research before I jump on a show with someone. But when I look you up online, I don't see a lot of information. I don't think you have a website. Is that right? I I do. I upload things I want to play with or experiment with or if I'm in between jobs, I'll, it's kind of my portfolio. I'll yeah, put up okay. coding examples and whatnot. And and I can say it's wallfly.com, but it's the fly is spelled with an I instead of a Y wallfly.com. And it's not, it's a busy box. You might say it's, yeah. it has no focus. It's just a, a experimental playground just to demonstrate some of the things I could do coding wise. Yeah. And that's where it has like my old flash projects, some old uh, dynamic HTML, animated JavaScript things, just things to show that, you know, hey, I can, I'm a pretty good programmer and, and hey, I'm a little artistic too. So okay, uh, it's just, but you're welcome to check it out. And like I said, it's wallfly.com to so W-A-L-F-L-I.com and it'll okay. 
should lead you there. And again, it's nothing fancy. And it's actually probably, I would say, nearly 10 years old. <laughs> it's, oh, uh, wow. I, I haven't updated it in so long, but it's yeah. and but it's well, still kind of, a, how should I say it? It still works. Kudos to some of the technologies that I, I selected to implement those animated advanced interfaces and whatnot. They mm-hmm. still function to this day, and they even work on an iPad. So the only thing that doesn't work, of course, is the Flash. Uh, yeah. There's a saying, and I'm not. I'm going to butcher this. I'm not going to get it right at all. But the what do you call a guy that like built like uh, makes shoes? Cobbler. Yes. That's not yeah, right, cobbler. Yeah. Cobbler. Yeah, like the cobbler's kids have. They don't have shoes, or they have poor shoes because he's too busy working. Yes. Making shoes for other people, and yeah. it's the same thing with web developers or design companies. It's like when you're working to to bring in the income, <laughs> you tend to ignore your own stuff pretty yeah. easily, your website. And it's, you know, I'm, well, I'm the same way with mine. And it's like that at the day job where we, our website works and it features all of our, our great, the great stuff we do, but we've got a, a redesign in place that we've been working on for a couple of years. <laughs> and we just have to work on it when we have time. Exactly. Well, it's, you know, it's the same way with our firm. We, we've, our main product, it's, it's polished. Granted, like anything, it's got its own bloat, but, uh, it, Front end, everything wise is very polished, but our internal tools yeah. are junky, clunky, and we all know the workarounds to get our internal tools to do the job. And and some things we don't have internal tools, but we have these wonderful dream ideas of the internal tools. But yes, you're right for the artist, and I've I've actually been dealing greatly with this, uh, dealing with this issue quite a bit lately. And I can't go into everything, but my daughter's actually in a professional gig right now with a with a, someone that's uh, really well-known in the industry. And I've gotten okay. a, a glimpse into how they do their business because they're a full-time artist and they make their entire income off of it. And and everything they do, some of the things they go through the manual, one of the key things I learned very quickly was that for the artist to be an artist, they can't do the business. There's some artists yeah. that can do that, but for the most part, the artists were chaotic and uh, abstract in our thinking process and sloppy. We're not always that organized sometimes or all the time. Either way, it's as artists, we need that creative freedom. We need that. We don't need that pressure of, okay, I got to get the prints ready. I got to print mailing labels. I got to package these things, ship them off. Because I do, I want to get to a point where I want to start selling prints. I want to sell stickers. And I've been, I've actually been actively researching it more recently to see what's involved. And, yeah. and I've been, and I've had the, uh, the pleasure of being able to reach out to people like, uh, uh, Amanda, the animated life on Instagram. I think she okay. has 400 K followers. She's a stay at home mom with three kids, self-taught artist who uh, was hired to do all the character designs for the new Scoob movie. And is now currently uh, working for Warner brothers on some wonder woman activities. And it's either going to oh, be wow. a wonder woman cartoon movie or series. She couldn't really tell us she's under an NDA, but right. I've reached out to her and, and, and to see now how she was dealing with things. And she's actually had to, back off. I'm on her page, Patreon as well. And she had all these great offerings. And uh, even I asked her, I reached out to her and says, how can you do this and still draw? You got to be miserable. And she did. She, she did. She said, yes, I am. I'm, I'm having a hard time. And I told her, you just, you can't worry about upsetting people. You've got to find someone to manage your business. And I think when her husband's military and when he comes back, uh, he's going to take over the business for her and help manage that, which is a great idea. Yeah, She still does her own prints and everything, but she had to tone, bring back her Patreon. She only, she brought it back down to one tier instead of four or five and had to reduce everything and apologize and said she had to refund. A lot of people, artists do that. When they get on Patreon, they over promise and over plan and yeah. 
they feel that you know it, and it becomes it's not pleasure for the, them anymore. If it's no, if art's no longer fun, you got to stop doing that. And with this professional artist, I've watched uh, how they do their business, and um, they were giving things away free and whatnot. But this basically, they allowed a business manager to come in and take over, and it's, it's just no additional cost. These art managers, they just say, "Hey, give me your products." I'll print, I'll produce, and I will ship, and then you just I'll send you the profit, and that's and that makes okay. it easy. There's no out of pocket for them, yeah. and I'm gonna I'm getting on board with the actual the same people that manages this professional, because they have all all this great equipment, and I'm gonna they can do prints of any size because okay. they have this massive printer on, with the roller paper, so there's literally no limit to the size of prints. Not that yeah. I'm expecting people to buy massive prints, and I really haven't decided if I have anything that's <laughs> print quality but I, I do think i am going to definitely uh, start offer certain prints and stickers and just to start to see where it goes see if people are really interested you so, can do the red bubble thing but there's yeah. really no profit in red bubble there's a lot more profit in finding an art manager like this because that's their focus is you know, they streamline it and they have the process down to where they take away that labor of you sticking labels on and shipping stuff off. They handle your orders and you can just focus on art and creating the next product and, and seeing what, you know, based on what people are buying, you can say, okay, I see what's really people like and I'll draw something that should meet those demands and hopefully, you know, continue to make more sales. Yeah. So you mentioned Patreon. I'm glad you brought that up because you have a Patreon account. You may have just hinted at it a little bit, but when did you start that? Was that this year in 2020? I actually don't remember. I, I may have started my account a long time ago, and mm-hmm. I had just three people come on and follow me, which were just three Instagram friends, and those three are still with me to this day. Grateful for it, by the way. And I didn't really do much with it. I didn't post often. I just, you know, and there was even there, was, and there was a phase where I did get active with it, and it grew, and then I forgot life just interrupted, and I didn't draw for a while, and stuff tapered off again. But now I've yeah. Uh, I've come back and probably in the last year, you're right, probably in the last year and a half, maybe possibly two, but I've put it into my workflow as I start to sketch or draw something or work on something. I don't do it with everything I do, but because I'm really already too chatty on Patreon, I believe. I'm sure some of my users are like, yeah, you're going to my spam box now. (laughs) (laughs) And I don't blame them, not insulted at all. But what I do is like, while I'm drawing, it's just so easy. I'm on the iPad already. There's the mobile app for Patreon. Mm -hmm. So I'm on the iPad. I've got a rough sketch start in what I'm doing. I'm going to take a break or I've got to get back to coding or whatever it is. I'm like, real quick, let me just post that to Patreon. And so I can just show, okay, here's what I'm working on. Here's my rough. And so I'm showing my process as I go along. And then uh, most of the tools, as you know, it's like Fresco. It's easy to to dump a uh, time lapse. I would like to get into capturing more real time. The iPad Pro, the the new oh, generation, that streaming can, feature. Yes, you got the streaming feature, and you can actually just record your screen real time, and it'll stay yeah. the video locally. And uh, by the way, I highly recommend Adobe Rush. If you've probably yeah. heard of Adobe Premiere, Adobe Adobe Rush is their mobile version, which is very lightweight. They keep adding new features to it, so it's becoming less and less lightweight. But it's very capable. But it's a nice, easy, quick, and easy. A, I've done my time lapse, but I'd like to clean it up a little bit, cut and paste a few things oh, around, or change the timing. Idea. Adobe Rush is perfect for that. I just, yeah. Again, I'm falling in love with all of the Adobe mobile apps. They really are. Uh, how should I say it? They're taking their lessons learned from the desktop world, and they're making the new mobile apps much cleaner and mobile centric. I don't know who they've hired to design their UIs, but they, whoever it is, knows mobile and. They, yeah, they, it's probably internal. <laughs> 
<laughs> exactly. I'm, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. But yeah, it's, I used Adobe rush. I recorded a video last week of my setup here in the office. It's kind of crazy. I've, I've, I've created what, what one of my bosses calls a blanket fort where I take these moving blankets and I hang them up around the office because we're in a new space and we don't have any, hardly any furnishings except hard desks. It's um, this old flooring from the thirties. Uh, this used to be a morgue. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we're in the office area on the second floor. It's a two story building, but it just echoes really bad. So I've I set up the, this blanket fort and I wanted to, capture it. If anything, just capture it for me, like a video of it and some pictures. But I was playing around with Rush, pulling my videos in that I made three different clips, just showing the setup. And it is easy to use. And then I found out that you can install it on desktop as well. Yes. So I installed it. I have a Creative Cloud account through work. So I have access to all the Adobe stuff. I haven't had a chance to mess with it on desktop, but it's real easy. You bring in your clips, you can add a little title caption over the first few frames where you can yep. title it if you want to. And it's actually a little bit easier to use uh, than iMovie, which kind of blows my mind because iMovie is supposed to be the easiest thing to use, but <laughs> I've I, always had a mental block with it. You know, I, same here. It's iMovie gives me a little challenge as well, but of course it's also a more mature product and we're getting the benefit of seeing Rush when it's as lightweight and as they slowly add new features to it. But yeah, mm -hmm. it's if, if you really want to do some video protection, obviously Adobe Premiere is the better product, but that's desktop and it's usually, it is pretty elaborate what it can do and lots of oh, UI yeah. controls <laughs> and things that'll intimidate you just like me. I don't like a lot of buttons. Uh, so yeah, Rush for me is just great. It's just got the bare minimum. I just need something simple because I want to focus on the time-lapse. And yeah. I do want to eventually move into the real-time recording. I've, I have purchased an ARM that'll hold the phone or tablet camera. In, mm -hmm. right? And I want to do some uh, real-time drawing and talking. I'd love to do a, uh, uh, I think there's a, a need out there for beginner drawers. People have never drawn before. But yeah. instead of them beginning to draw on paper, let's uh, begin to draw on an iPad. Uh, I think that's a, an emerging market. It, uh, actually, it's probably already out there quite a bit in YouTube, I bet. But it's just simply, hey, let's do a, a warm-up exercise, like drawing a series of circles on a piece of paper, mm -hmm. alternating clockwise and counterclockwise. A little go through the warm-up exercises and then go into a drawing exercise. And then the base is just all about beginning drawing. But you're using like Adobe Fresco or Procreate or whatever. You're on a, a digital device and you're doing your first time drawing that way. Yeah. Yeah. My son is, he's 12. My daughter's 16. And I've had this iPad. It's a first gen. I guess I got it just a, a few months after it was released. And so they've been able to draw on it and they took to it like instantly since I've had this thing. Any, and it's like any app I, I put in front of them to draw with, whether it's Procreate or what what is it like fifty two paper? It's gone through a name change. I don't know if it's still called that or not. They've played with uh, concepts. There's a, there's I've got one I like a lot called Comic Draw. Have you ever messed with that one? I've heard of it, but I've not played with it yet. Uh, I'll have to check it out. Yeah, it's it's not as robust in terms of brushes like Fresco is or Procreate, but it's got a workflow for creating comics. And then I've got uh, Clip Studio. Uh, is it paint? Yeah. Clip studio paint. That's on the iPad. That is, it, it's something 
And yeah, Clip, Clip Studio is is probably what the Photoshop people expected the mobile Photoshop to look like. Yeah. And it is. Clip Studio is very elaborate. My daughter loves Clip Studio. I bought her a license for the desktop. You mm-hmm. have to buy a separate license for the mobile version. And they're yep. nearly identical in capabilities. I love the feature where you can bring in these 3D models, pick the hand pose, adjust everything, put them into a scene, and then it's there for you to outline and, and set up your scene using the you know 3D models. I think the anime community uses it heavily. One of my okay. first exercises my daughter did with it was convert a photo into an anime background, and she she did an amazing job with it. All and Clip Studio just had all the tools for it, and it yeah. created this. And it showed how anime creates these really beautiful, rich backgrounds. I really believe in Clip Studio. I think it's a great product, though it's it is very convoluted, and I think some of the choices of menu items are definitely were probably odd because of the cultural differences. Yeah, how things are explained. That's the only reason I can explain why the UI is the way it is. It's, it's an old. It's a really old application. It was manga. Was it Manga Studio? Was what I it think was so. Called? It was, yeah, before that. Yeah. Yeah, but the, it's got this one killer feature, and I don't know if other apps have this, but it's called the Vector Eraser. Have you seen that? Um, no, I don't recall. Okay, so if you just take any brush, it doesn't matter what brush it is. I don't think, but they've got their little pen vector style brush that's just a real smooth inking style but if you were to draw lines say we drew a square but we didn't we let all our lines cross at the corners so that you ended up with these little tick marks outside of the square you could go through with Mm -hmm. the the vector eraser and just swipe over those little tick marks that are outside the square and it and it erases it right up to where they meet yeah that's in fresco uh, this is is called it? The, yeah, it's called the vector trim. Oh so if, if you're drawing with the vector brushes and you cross two strokes, it's called the, I used to call it the touch modifier. I forgot what they call it now. The little circle in the lower left-hand corner. Oh, uh, I don't even know how to use that thing yet. <laughs> one of the challenges we complained early on is that when you're, if you've got your, that little uh, touch modifier, the little corner in fresco, and it's also in Illustrator, by the way, the, the uh, for iPad. Uh-huh. Uh, is there a way of answering the the loss of all the shortcut keys? Oh, if you're okay. if you're sitting at a, in, at a desk and your iPad's sitting up nice, I think it works well because it's designed. You would touch it with one of your fingers and then work with your stylus. You would press and hold on it, and okay. it's got two states. You can press and hold the center or drag it to its outer circle, and that's a second state for that little control. Uh, I wish if there's a video I could show you, but it also has a double tap. If you double tap, it'll toggle it off and on. And that's a feature that I and some other guys in the the beta testing all demanded because when you take the iPad and go sit on the couch, pressing that little modifier is, is really difficult because I'm, I'm usually got the iPad cradled in my hand. Yeah. So my, my thumb or fingers are nowhere near that corner. And even if I move it to the upper corner, it's not easy to get to. And if I try to use my thumb, it doesn't seem to quite react to my thumb the same way if I'm touching with just like the tip of my finger. Because I think my thumb, my fat thumb covers too much of the screen. Uh, and yeah. it's hard to keep it pressed correctly and get it. So the double tap is what I use. I'll, I'll, I, and to the point, actually, I'll just use the stylus and I'll double tap on the circle and maybe drag it to a secondary modifier. And I think that's what it is. If you're on the vector brushes, you got to be on the vector brushes. Mm-hmm. After you've done your drawing, while you're still on the vector brushes, go in there and double tap on that circle, drag it to okay. its outer circle, the secondary modifier. And then you can tap it again and it goes to the outer modifier. That works too. And then, so now you can just uh, swipe across the line, the strokes you want to go away. 
Oh, and they look just, at that. And they vanish right away. Isn't that amazing? It uh, is. It's, yeah, they, they call it vector trim. It is, it's right. So there it is for you. That's awesome. I'm glad you can enjoy that. That's one of my favorite features. That's why I ink in vector. Is It's just for one of those reasons. It's just so easy to create a clean connecting strokes. Oh, wow. It also has, if you do a triple swipe, it'll take out the entire stroke. Not just where it won't just cut it where it butts off. If you triple swipe, I think it's triple swipe across it and, and release, it'll take the, the entire stroke that's related to it. Oh, it did. Okay. Yeah. So you don't lift the pin up. You just, you zigzag three times across the. Yeah. It takes the whole stroke and that's come in handy as well. But again, that whole thing, cause now I can just, you look at my inking, I, I can draw some complex things. I can even throw in a bunch of cross hatching. And if I decide I want a background line to go through this whole thing, usually I would draw that on another layer and then erase mm-hmm. What I didn't want, because you want to do a, a fluid line, so you know that when it's going behind whatever subject you're drawing, it looks correct. It looks like it's flowed from the left to the right behind the subject. Right. So now I can draw right through it on the exact same layer, and then just go through and vector trim it out where I want it, and it's perfect. Um, so it's yeah, I, that's that to me is one of my favorite features of uh, Adobe Fresco and those vector. Yeah. What What is your favorite time wasting activity? Um, drawing. Okay, <laughs> so, so let's take drawing out of the picture. Oh, okay. I guess other than that, either playing some video games on the Xbox or watching TV. Uh, mostly animation. I love watching uh, cartoons. The latest one I highly recommend is the Cleopatra in Space. Only available on Peacock, but if you go do their okay. seven-day trial, you can go watch the whole first season. I don't know if you're familiar with Cleopatra in Space. I'm not. Uh, Mike Mayahack, if I'm pronouncing it right, he self-published uh, this comic series, and he, he's been doing it for a few years. He, he self-published a series of these comic books in Amazon, and they had ended up with a small cult following. Was it NBC's The Peacock, right? Uh, either right. NBC contracted a series based on it through DreamWorks, and the animation, the character designs, it's just a great piece. Of, it's a great piece of artwork, and it was fun writing. It's I recommend it. So awesome. either way, that, that was one of the longer answers. Yeah, Peacock's really new. Like it's at the time about the recording of this, which is September first, twenty twenty. I think it's only been out a couple months, if that. Yes, it is fairly. And the only reason I got it was for the for that very reason, the Cleopatra in Space. And okay, I've kept it because they actually have some other nice shows. I, I recommend it to check it out. You may find something you like. They have a lot of other original shows. So you mentioned video games. My son's a huge gamer, and I know he's going to listen to this because Dad's making you know this podcast. But he's big on the Xbox. What's your favorite game? Oh, I'd say most recently was the uh, Savage Planet. It's more of a 3D platformer. It's, I don't know, have you ever heard of Metroid? Yeah, Metroid I've not, on the old Nintendo? Yeah, I yeah. think it's it's very similar to the gameplay of that. I've not played that one, oh. but I loved it. But again, I also get vertigo easily, and there's a lot of hopping around over chasms oh, okay. and trying to get up cliffs. And It was just, it was it's not an expensive game, but it was just very entertaining, very tongue-in-cheek, silly stuff. But it was just a fun one. But if I had a preference of my all-time favorite games to play, that is Half-Life. And of course, we're, okay. unfortunately, the new Half-Life, which is Half-Life Alex, is VR only. And you have to have a, a good VR setup and a PC. Um, yeah. I, I read recently Xbox has a new system coming out later this year, and they don't have plans for VR. Like, it's it's not in the foreseeable future for a VR headset. But that that new console could definitely push the data to a 
to a VR headset if it wanted to. But I think the PlayStation does have plans for it on their next console, the PlayStation 5. Yeah, and I'm guessing Alex may come to that console. That would be yeah. my guess. But ultimately, if I have to one day, if uh, I'm going to wait till prices come down and it's affordable yeah. or tax return have, year, yeah. I'll, I'll go get have, a VR set. Have you done any VR gaming? No, not actually gaming. I've toyed with I've been at other people's houses that had the sets and played with it. Played the yeah. what the Star Trek Bridge Commander or whatever it's called. Ooh, yeah, That's, is that good? Uh, yeah, there was. It's it's a great party game. But again, it's one of those, after a while, the novelty wears off. But you each, it's up to four people. You handle, one handles engineering, another one weapons, another one navigation, and so forth. And it, it was fun, like playing on a bridge there, seeing your hands move around and touch the yeah. controls and actually manipulate the console. But again, like I said, it's one of those things. Is eventually, the novelty wears off and it's yeah. people aren't playing it anymore. Who's your favorite artist or creator? I'd have to That's say probably uh, be a hard question for you. No, no, it's there's a name that comes to mind right away. And okay. even though I don't draw like him, uh, I've always been impressed with how much what, the characters he could create with so such simple lines. And that's Bruce Tim. I love Bruce Tim's designs. Any, particularly in animation, he he designs for TV animation and anything, uh, including the new DC cartoon that came out, The Fatal Five. It's all. A, I'm not a Green Lantern fan, but it pretty much revolves around uh, Limelight, which is the, the fe- a female Green Lantern. She eventually is known as one of the most powerful of the Green Lanterns. But it, it's interesting. But all the character designs were done by Bruce Tim. He's also doing a, a Sergeant Rock short that'll be coming out soon. Again, all all oh. Bruce Tim designs. So anything that's Bruce Tim. Another series I highly recommend. It's it's 3D animated. It's again it's about the Green Lanterns, which I'm not a big fan of, but I love this show. It just, I just, I was so surprised and floored by this. And it's the Green Lantern animated series. And it's 3D animated. All the characters are designed by uh, Bruce Tim, And the story is all out in space. It's it's very little of it is ever on Earth. It's all, and yeah. it really goes over the entire Green Lantern um, genre, their whole universe. And including you going through, you get to meet the Orange Lantern about greed. And the Yellow Lanterns, the Red Lanterns, yeah. and the Purple Lanterns. and it's a, and the blue lanterns, but he, but again, it's just it was just so well animated, and the story was just so engaging. The character development was strong. I was I was really impressed. I was surprised. So after that, I enjoyed it. But yeah, the Green Lantern movies, uh, and the reason this series was not well known is it came out about the same time as the Green Lantern movie did, and people oh, confused okay. it and just had no interest in it. Great. So I think we're at the end of our time. We can plug your Instagram account, which is Tony Cartoonish. Is there anything else you'd like? to plug maybe no, Patreon. That's, that's it yeah patreon is also if you're looking for me on you should be able to find me by tony cartoonish or by my name uh, tony helms that's uh, t-o-n-y-h-e-l-m-s uh, i've really moved any of my your timeless videos my rough sketches and some other things that i do for patreons only are will be there on patreon and i've got some other things i'll be doing with patreon but again and i really there's a there's two tiers. There's a $1 tier and a $3 tier. Uh, the $1 tier and $3 tier actually have the exact same benefits. There's no difference. Mm-hmm. The only thing is the $1 tier is limited to the first 30 people. So I just try to open that up. Whoever are the first people to get in. Yeah. And oddly enough, some still choose the $3 tier. They're very generously want to offer me more. And I'm very grateful for that. But again, I'm not expecting to get rich with this. It's just another area where I can provide an extra level of interaction that I don't do over an Instagram. I try to be personal and interact as much as I can. But over on the Patreon, I try to expose more of the messy process of art. And yeah. so I, you know, so 
def- definitely please. I'll be honored if you join me there. But otherwise, Tony Cartoonish at Instagram is where you'll see uh, tons of activity as well. Awesome. Thanks for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. And I'd like to have you on the show later, maybe uh, months down the road, just kind of catch up with you and see how things are going. Chris, thank you. I'd be honored again. Thank, I appreciate this opportunity. I'm really grateful. And thank you for your time and letting me uh, rattle on like I do. Not a problem. Thanks, Tony. Thank you, Chris. And you've been listening to Driven Creatively Mad. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider subscribing. You can find the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google, and anywhere else you can find your favorite shows. If you're already subscribed, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcasting network. Your review will help other creatives find out about the show. Driven Creatively Mad is also on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Now, if you want to help support the future of Driven Creatively Mad and receive exclusive benefits, consider becoming a patron. For just five bucks a month, you'll get access to early releases of the episodes, your name mentioned in a future episode's patron shout-out segment, and you'll have the option to submit questions to be asked on the show of future guests. You can become a patron by visiting the website at drivencreativelymad.com. The theme song is used with permission from Ryan Stokes.